So good morning, everybody. Uh, my name, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Blake. Uh, I serve here as the Director of Discipleship and Outreach at Terra Nova Church. And uh, today we are continuing on in our Promises of God series. We're taking a break from Matthew um, and we're going to be in this series for a few more weeks before we return to Matthew. Um, and before we dive into uh, the, the promise that we're going to be looking at today, I want to just talk really briefly about promises in general. So I want you to do something with me, okay? Uh, I want you to try to think of the last time that you made a promise, or think of the last time that someone made a promise to you, Okay? Maybe it was a promise you made to yourself. Maybe it was on January 1st. You promised yourself fill in the blank and you have or have not done that thing as often as you would like. Maybe it was a promise to a friend. Maybe it was a promise you received from a friend to a spouse. Maybe it was something you said to God. Uh, Maybe it was a promise you made to your family. Um, Whatever it is, whether it's you or someone else making the promise, did you expect for the promise to come true? And if you did, why? And if you didn't, I'm curious why. If you expected, yes, the promise is going to come true, it probably had something to do with trust in the person who was making the promise and their ability to see it through. And you've expected no, it was probably a lack of trust in the person making the promise and their ability to see it through. So the hope of a promise is not just about the promise. It's about the person who makes the promise and whether or not they actually follow through. It's not just the potential of this thing that is being promised to you. It's the person themselves. You want to put a lot of stock in a person or in a promise if it's coming from this person you really don't trust. And we experience promises all the time. Culture makes promises to us. Uh, The workplace makes promises to us. Friends make promises to us. Family members make promises to us. And so often those promises end up broken because the people making them, like you and I, are broken. As an example, my wife was really hesitant to put me on her dental insurance policy recently. She said it was pointless to pay the extra premium because she knew I would not go to the dentist. So I promised my wife, I promised her, that's my most recent promise I can think of, I promised her that if she put me on her insurance, I would go to the dentist. And here we are. Right, paying slightly extra for the dental premium, I have not gone to the dentist. Right? It's a broken promise because I am a broken person and not trustworthy when it comes to my medical stuff. Right? And that happens all the time. And sometimes the promises are small, but sometimes they're really, really big and, and horribly life-changing right, when they're broken. Um, and yet today we're examining promises from God. And the difference is the character and nature of the one that's making the promises. God is good and faithful and just and perfect and sovereign. He's in control. And we have full assurance of the promises that he makes to us because we know and trust his character. So when we study and engage with these promises of God, we're really confident that they're going to come true or that they already have come true because we know him. So the aim of this series is to give us life, to give hope to us. These promises provide something for us to cling to, something for us to celebrate because we know they're true, something that is certain to happen. And I recognize that everyone here is probably finding themselves in a different place today. Maybe some of us, things are going really well. 
Um, maybe life's not great, but in my relationship with God, I'm doing well and I'm able to navigate difficulty well. Right? Or maybe things are just going great. But then maybe some of us over here are really struggling and feeling distant in relationship with God, feeling distant in other areas of life, and really suffering and struggling. The beautiful thing about promises of God is they speak to us wherever we find ourselves. If things aren't going great, then the promises are a light in the darkness. And if things are going well, then they remind us what we have to be thankful for. So last Sunday, uh, Pastor Tori came and he talked to us about a promise of God, that God listens. This almighty creator of the universe, this huge God, is intimately involved with his creation. He hears our prayers, whether it feels like it or not, whether he responds in the way we want him to or not, he hears our prayers, he listens. So with that promise, now when we pray, we're confident that he's listening to us that he's engaging with us, even if it doesn't go the way we want, we can know with confidence that he listens. So that's how we engage with that promise. And today, we have this promise of God that he forgives. Forgiveness is foundational to the Christian faith. Um, I'm not going to say anything new or novel or profound that you haven't heard already about the topic of forgiveness. And so for today, I wanted to try something a little bit different. Um... I wanted to maybe give us more of an opportunity to really engage with the promise this morning. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to break this morning into three sections, which I know sounds like what we typically do. We have our three points. Um, But after each section, I'm going to give a longer period of time to do various things. Um, So we're going to walk through it. We're going to talk through our first section, and this will probably be up here. Good. Thanks. Um, The first section... Is the hope of the promise, right? We're going to explore where the, pro- where the promise is. We find it in the book of Jeremiah. Um, and we're going to do some analysis in our hearts, right? If the promise is for forgiveness, then we're going to examine what we need to be forgiven of, right? And after that section, we're going to have time to kind of silently meditate, maybe journal, and examine our hearts. There's going to be some questions up there to really think through and examine where in my heart do I sense sin in my life? And we're going to move on to the second section, and we're going to look at the promise fulfilled that the work of Christ on the cross offers forgiveness to us. And afterward, we're going to have a time to pray and confess. And in that time, I'm going to encourage us to either do that by yourself or to get with your family that you came with, your friends that you came with, and spend time in prayer together confessing sin to Jesus together. So you're going to have time to, if you want to do that, if you feel comfortable in a group, do that. If you want to do that on your own, do that. And then we're going to move to our third section, where we're going to look at life as a redeemed sinner, right? The fact that we're forgiven, but we continue to sin. And we're going to have time afterward there to get together again in groups, hopefully, if you're comfortable with that, and offer thanks to God together for the freedom that we experience in Jesus, So we want to give time to just engage with the promise. That's the aim today. And the aim is to experience the hope of the promise that you'll see up here. To confess areas of sin in our hearts and in our lives and experience joy in relationship with God as we do so. Um, Okay, so we're going to dive in. Our first sec. Does that sound all right to everybody? We're good with that? Any objections? No? All right, good. That would be very brave if you just said I have an objection. Um, All right, our first section, the hope of the promise. 
Our, our promise, like I said, is found in the book of Jeremiah. And I want to read the passage, and then I want to go from there. So Jeremiah, it's going to be found in chapter uh, 31, verses 31 through 34. It should be on the screen here um, if you want to follow along. It says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And here's our promise. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise of forgiveness. And as we meditate on um, that promise, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us in new and profound ways this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the promise of God to here that we see in Jeremiah comes at this really significant time in the history of the people of Israel. So in order to understand this moment that we're reading in chapter 34, we're going to need to look back at the history of the people of Israel, and we're actually going to go all the way back to creation. So we're going to look at creation and then we're going to see how we got to where we're at in Jeremiah when we look at the context there. So in Genesis, right, we see this beautiful picture of creation. God created humanity in his image, right? Humans are given this ability to have dominion over the world. They were charged to create, right, to cultivate life, to cultivate communities, to do good work, right? Humans had this perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with each other and it was this joyful, beautiful experience. And it's what we were created for and what we long for. Right? And yet we know humans fall into sin. Rather than love for God and love for others, this love of self emerges. And our ability to have dominion over the world is no longer used to cultivate life, it's used to gain power for self. We believe we know better than God, right? that God withholds good things from us. We desire to be the gods of our own lives and live according to our own ways and have our own kingdoms. And the world turns into chaos because of our sin. Right? It's not God's original design. And we don't flourish. And it's important to understand the nature of sin in this way because it's, it has a significant role in what's happening in Jeremiah, right? what we're reading in Jeremiah. But so after humans fall... And this is how we're going to get there. After humans fall, God takes action, right? He loves his creation, even in their sin, and he still desires that they experience his original design in creation. So what he does is he takes a group of them, he chooses the Israelites, and he establishes this covenant agreement with them. It kind of serves as this legally binding contract between God and the people of Israel. And it marks their relationship throughout the entire Old Testament. This covenant gives Israel a sense of identity as a nation. And the purpose of the covenant was for God to redeem humanity right, from the fallen state that they're in. And we'll see that within the covenant. So within the covenant, you have God who promises Israel pretty much two things. 
He says he's going to give them land to live in, and this is really important, land to live in, and he's going to make them into a great nation. It's the essence of the covenant. He's going to be their God. And in return, in this contract, right, the people of Israel promise to obey God's laws. And God's law is essentially his original design for humanity. Jesus summarizes law in two commandments. He says it's to love God and to love others. So what we see in this covenant is God working to establish his original design in the world. God's fighting against sin to establish original intention because he wants humans to flourish. Right? So that's the purpose of the covenant that we see. And in Jeremiah, if you notice, it references a new covenant. Right? So back to Jeremiah. We see the breaking of the covenant in Jeremiah. We see the establishment of it in early chapters in the Old Testament, and now in Jeremiah, we see the covenant is breaking. Contract is over, and we're asking ourselves why. Over the course of the history of Israel between then and now, where we find ourselves in Jeremiah, Israel had repeatedly turned their back on God, right? They had rebelled against him time and time again. They had broken the covenant with him, and God was patient with them. They would return back to him and they would try to reestablish their covenant relationship. But it had happened time and time and time again. And this time in Jeremiah, Israel is gone for good. They are not coming back. Right? They remove themselves from the covenant. Right? And because of this, because the contract is over, God is no longer obligated to uphold his end of the covenant. So he doesn't. And that's the context of our passage Israel is facing invasion from the Babylonians. Right? So when we're reading in chapter 31, Israel is facing invasion. The Babylonians will end up destroying the city of Israel, scattering the people of Israel into surrounding nations. So the Babylonians take away the land that Israel received as part of the covenant, and they scatter the people who were supposed to be this great nation. Israel broke the covenant for good. Now they face the consequences, and they no longer receive the blessings of the covenant. Israel is in the darkest moment of their history. Right? The deepest part of their identity that they had experienced throughout the course of their history had been this covenantal relationship with God, and now they find them in this place of brokenness and broken relationship with God as a result of their sin. And it's in that moment, right, darkest part of the history of Israel, where God promises forgiveness. He says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. He promises this new covenant that will defeat sin with finality. He doesn't offer them land again. He doesn't offer Israel to be a sovereign nation again. He offers them forgiveness and life. And it's good news for Israel. Israel's history has been riddled with sin. Right? Even its greatest leaders have stories of terrible, terrible pitfalls. To read through the Old Testament is to read through story after story after story of Israel's failures, disobedience to God, pursuit of power, sexual sin, stories of envy, of hatred, of oppression, of judgment of others. Right? And it all points back to the same thing, to original sin, this desire to elevate self to the position of God in life. And these things in Israel happen time and time and time again. And still God promises forgiveness. And that's a good time. This is where we're going to take some time to pause and reflect on ourselves. The story of Israel is much like the story of our lives, right? We're all disobedient. 
We all sin. We all elevate ourselves to the place of God in our lives in some way or another. Maybe we think we know better or we try to do what is right. But like the Israelites, we find ourselves constantly in an endless cycle of sin that we cannot seem to navigate our way out of. And yet when Israel finds themselves there, God promises forgiveness. And some of us know that, you know, we're in Christ, but we still have areas of sin in our hearts to explore. So for us to enjoy the promise, to enjoy the forgiveness, to really experience it, we need to have an awareness of what our sin is. So we're going to take time to pause and reflect. And I'm going to encourage you, maybe take out your phone, take out a notebook, um, and we're going to, there's going to be some questions up here, and there's going to be some music on in the background. And we're going to take what we have here and use it in the next couple of sections that we're going to journey through. So I really just encourage you to consider what the areas of sin are in your own heart. Right? And if you're having a hard time with that, ask God to reveal sin to you. Right? So go ahead, take a little bit of time. I'll give you a couple of minutes, and then we'll circle back and go from there. Feel free to continue to meditate on that, journal through that. Um, 
We're going to move on. We're going to look at the promise fulfilled. And I know it's kind of heavy to, uh, right off the bat, be challenged to consider your sin, right, and track along with the people of Israel and their sin. But it's something that is good to do to engage with the promise because it gives us a lot of joy as we engage with it to know that we're free from the things that we're um, experiencing. Um, So we just examined sin in our hearts. And the aim of this next section now is to give us joy as we consider the work that Jesus does on our behalf to defeat that sin and its effect on our lives, right? And at the end of this, like I said, we're going to have some opportunity to pray, whether by yourself or in a group, pray prayers of confession for the things that we're realizing in our hearts that are there. Um, But to get there, we're going to go back to our passage in Jeremiah, right? So we're going to track along with the story a little bit further. The covenant was broken. It's this really dark time for Israel. But God was not done working to redeem humanity and to establish that beautiful original design that we saw in creation, right? His purpose still remains. He desires that his creation will flourish because he is good and just, right? And he loves us, Um, However, the old covenant that we see was not sufficient to defeat sin. The old covenant relied on people. Within the old covenant, when a person sinned, they had to atone for their own sin. They followed this sacrificial system of animal sacrifice that would earn God's forgiveness and take the responsibility of their sin off of them and put it onto something else. And the problem with the old covenant is that it was up to sinful humanity to do that. It failed because of the sinful nature of people. It wasn't done with the right heart. The people had become calloused, and they went through the motions of this without understanding what was actually happening in the atonement of sin, right? So God, and that's what what Israel, that's where Israel went, right? That's why we see Israel breaking the covenant down the road. So God establishes this new covenant where forgiveness is no longer contingent on the action of humanity. It's contingent on God himself. This is how it works. In the old covenant, that binding contract that we talked about, God provided the requirements to the people of Israel. He, re- he gave them the law, and the people fulfilled those requirements. Right? In the new covenant, and if they didn't, they had to go through that sacrificial system. Right? In the new covenant, God provides the requirements. He gives the law. But God also fulfills the requirements on our behalf in the person and in the work of Jesus. Romans 8 says it really well for us. For God has done what the law, the old covenant, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law, the law was good, in order that that requirement might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the purpose of the old covenant was good, right? The requirements of the law were good. They pointed humanity toward God's original design. They were aiming at God's original plan. However, it was weakened by sin in humanity. So God fulfills those requirements on his own. He sends Jesus, right? And it's really good news and it has a profound effect on us. The almighty God and creator of the universe who designed humanity and designed the world, who is sovereign over all things, becomes human to reestablish covenant with his people in a way that would actually defeat sin and would establish his original design forever. And we're in that process now. 
And the work that he did, he reestablished that original design. He's working to do that in a few ways, right? This promise of forgiveness. To start, he lived perfectly. Jesus lived perfectly so that now we have the status, his status of perfection, right? His life fulfills those righteous requirements in the new covenant. And we have that status because of him. He's the image of God's original design for humanity. He has perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with the people around him, and he fulfills the law, the requirements of the law on our behalf. His perfect life for us. Right? And he also died sacrificially. Right? He trades that life, that status in the covenant with God, he trades that and gives it to us. And from us, he takes on the responsibility of our sin. And he takes it to the cross with him. And he becomes the sacrifice that atones for our sin. So when he was whipped and beaten, right, when the nails were put through his hands and his feet, when he was hanging there, exposed on the cross, he was taking on the burden and responsibility of sin so that he could put um, the sin of humanity to death with him. Right? The God of the universe takes on the responsibility of sin, the sin of the world, and he puts it in the grave with him. So that we can be forgiven and that we can have perfect status in relationship with God regardless of what our life looks like. So Jesus lived perfectly so that in the new covenant I have this status with God that isn't actually reflected in my actions. Right? And Jesus died sacrificially so that in this new covenant, I don't have to bear the weight of atoning for my own sin. I am freely forgiven because of the work of Jesus. I owe everything to him. He takes on the worst part of us as humans so that we can experience joy and life in him. What affection he deserves from us and what devotion does he inspire in us. Paul will say in Galatians that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we have one role in the new covenant. Jesus takes care of everything on our behalf. We have one role, and it is simply faith in him. When we recognize sin in our lives, like we just spent a little bit of time examining Right? We don't have to do the work of atoning for that sin. It doesn't identify us. Our repeated cycles of sin, even as Christians, don't identify us. It doesn't break our relationship with God. It's already been atoned for in the work of Christ. I've already experienced, I already have perfect status in my relationship with God. Our role is to simply believe and confess. First John, the author writes, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So if in that first section we're saying, I don't have any sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there's more to the story, but we're going to take some time to pause here and reflect and spend some time to actually do the work of confession. So in our passage in Jeremiah, God promises forgiveness in the darkest moments of Israel's history, and he promises forgiveness to the darkest corners of our own hearts as well. And it's heavy, but it's a joyful thing that all we have to do in our relationship with God, in the covenant relationship with God, is simply confess sin. All right? 
So we're going to move into that time. And I'm going to offer a few different ways for us to do that. One, you can quietly meditate and pray and confess to Jesus, right? And enjoy the relationship with him. Enjoy the um, fact that he takes on your sin, right? Or you could journal, maybe, and write out some prayers of confession so that maybe you can one day look back at what you have to say and where you were at in this moment. Or three, which is what I want to encourage people to do, is spend some time in prayer and confession with the people you came with. It's a little vulnerable to do that, um, but it's a powerful and, and beautiful thing when people get together and confess sin to God, and we do that as a church together. So um, as we do this, whatever avenue you want to go, we're going to have like three to four minutes to just spend some time. Now that we kind of examined our sin in uh, that first section, let's spend some time in confession to Jesus because that's all we have to do uh, in this new covenant. So there's going to be some music that comes on, um, and I'll be back in a few minutes.
All right, so up to this point, um, we have engaged with God's promise of forgiveness, right? We examined our sin uh, and the hope that he offers of forgiveness to that sin, and we just spent some time in confession, right, and engaged in our relationship with Jesus. And now we're going to briefly examine life as a redeemed sinner, what it means that we are in Christ, that we're forgiven, right, yet we continue to sin. In this previous section, right, we looked at the impact of Jesus' life in the new covenant that he gives us this perfect status, and we looked at the impact of Jesus' death that he does the atoning work for us on our behalf and takes care, takes the responsibility of our sin. And now, here, we're going to look at the impact of the resurrection. So we have the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. He took our sin to death with him, and he left it in the grave. And we are, and he was raised to give us new life in him. And Paul says it really well in Romans 6. He says this. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this and like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self... Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. No longer enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And as I thought about how to navigate this last point, I figured I might just share a little bit of my experience and perspective with this um, and see if people can relate and go from there. So for a long time, I struggled with this idea. Right? If I'm forgiven, and I think it's a common struggle. Maybe it's just me. If I'm forgiven, why do I continue to sin? Right? I can feel, I can be so prone to feel the weight of my sin, to feel burdened that I must do something to make up for this endless cycle of sin that I find myself in. Right? I find myself wondering if I've sinned too often. If I've repeated something one too many times, I know how corrupt my own heart is. I know my motivations and my desires that are outside of God's original design for humanity. Right? Does God still promise forgiveness to someone who knows him and yet turns their back on him constantly? Right? Does God still forgive me when I constantly elevate self to the place of God in my life? How can I be found in him take him up on this promise of forgiveness when so often my heart is far from him. All right? When it doesn't love him and doesn't love others. All right? So for a long time, I felt this really deep sense of guilt about my sin. I felt like maybe God can forgive others, but not me. I needed to do something to be better, to stop sinning, right? in order to earn forgiveness and in order to 
not feel guilty in my relationship with him. It can be really easy to feel the weight of our sin as we continue to do so, right? Even as redeemed sinners. Because we still live in a broken world, we experience brokenness all around us, and we contribute to that brokenness regularly. However, that's not the nature of the new covenant. The beauty of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is that my sin, regardless of how significant, how often, how depraved, died with Christ, and I live with him free of it. My sinful self died with Jesus, and my new life has been raised with him. So now when I sin, repeatedly, often, it belongs to the old self. It has no bearing on my status with God. No bearing on the manner in which he engages with me because it's already been put to death on the cross. My life is hidden in the resurrected life of Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The promise of God is not limited. It's not quantified to a certain degree or a certain amount. The promise of God to forgive is endless. He guarantees forgiveness to all who confess to him, who repent to him. I don't have to feel the weight of my sin. I don't have to experience the shame of my sin because Christ has taken that responsibility for me. I simply believe in him and live my life in him. Our role in this new covenant, in this promise of God to forgive, is to simply have faith in Christ. He redeems me, and as I continue to sin, I'm not bound by it. I'm not enslaved to it. I'm not responsible for it because he has taken care of it for me. And I get the status of perfection in him. What a glorious, glorious, glorious thing that Jesus does for us. So we're going to end our time um, and take a couple more minutes to pray and reflect. Um, We've examined sin in our own hearts. We've confessed it. And we want to set aside time to just thank God for the work that he's done. It's a beautiful thing what he did for us, and we want to praise him for it. So uh, we're going to have a few more minutes to pray Again, with the people next to you, this is just a time to thank God that even as people who are redeemed but continue to sin, right, we are in perfect relationship with him. So pray um, thank, prayers of thanksgiving. Maybe pray for the people next to you um, that they can experience good relationship with Jesus and not have to bear the weight of shame and sin um, because Jesus does for us. So um, after that time, the band's going to come up and we'll move on with our service. So go ahead.